This is the Pain Information Network. Welcome back. It's been a fun couple weeks for me. Uh, my wife and I, Kathy, we went on a retreat, a photographic retreat, where we met some really fun people. We're trying to learn photography. She, of course, picks up a camera and is incredibly good. And I have tried to be a student for a long period of time, and I, I struggle. But that's okay. I mean, you got to have hobbies. And if I could tell anybody that suffers from any chronic disease there's some distractibility in a hobby that i think is very wholesome and and vital and so pick something up something you can do we chose photography because we like to travel and we like beautiful landscapes and we're trying to learn uh, landscape photography so our first day we get there and we go to arizona long flight and we have a, a great lunch and kind of get in the mood, but we're a little nervous because we don't know anybody, and we assume everybody's going to be this incredible photographer. It's the Improved Photography Group. Specific, it's the Photo Taco Podcast. Check it out. It's Jeff Harmon. Great guy. Him and Susie really got us to the next stage and made us very comfortable. I had a blast with him and everybody involved. Made new friends, had a lot of fun. That is the point for those that suffer from chronic disease in any form. Get something fun, something distractible, something you can do. It's photography for some. It might be art. It might be, uh, you know, drawing in pencils. There's a whole subculture that apparently really likes to draw in pencils, as I've learned. Check out podcasts. There's podcasts on everything. Uh, there's Google on everything. And just kind of look around for stuff. It's worth it. It is so worth it. I'm really looking forward to spending more time with Jeff and his wife and some of the other tremendous uh, folks that I, I met there. Hector, Joy, Monroe, shout out to you too. So what we need to do is collectively put some ideas together and send them to me at paininformation.com and I'll have on a future podcast what what people like to do. It might be crochet, knitting, something you can do fairly sedentary or actively getting out. There are all sorts of things you can do in nature and I tell you fresh air is everything. The Papago Park uh, experience was fun because it was landscape, it's a historical rock formation right in the middle of of Phoenix, and then we went out to this really neat mountain, uh, Superstition Mountain. You got to Google that too. It's a story. It's a story on itself. It's an urban legend, probably, but it's an old west story. I'll probably do a, uh, a what me on it, a world according to me. But today, let's talk about today's stuff. I have on here Steve, Nancy, Art, and Doctor Data. These are really, really good doctors that give us some insight into what they do. And we're going to talk about a broad brushstroke of stuff from a meeting I recently went to. Go go figure, there's another meeting. So yeah, I've been out of the office somewhat, but uh, reality is you just, you can't network enough. You have to be out with folks that do what you do to understand that you're doing the right things for the right reasons. That's my mantra. So these folks are going to introduce themselves. You're going to you're going to get to know them. Um, I've, I've known Dada and Art for a long time, and they're well-known and established, and um, I'm happy to know Nancy and Steve as well. They're, they're really coming into themselves in the, in the national scene, and I appreciate that. So uh, let's get to it, and this is more of a roundtable. It was fun for us just to kind of impromptu hang around and start talking about the stuff that we're a little passionate for. So let's get to it.
All right. Welcome back, everybody. I have in front of me some pretty prestigious people. As usual, American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians. We're at Mary. That's the, uh, the lab we go to that, uh, yes, it's got cadavers. But we're here for a special mission. We're learning about regenerative medicine with the experts. And we're learning about uh, uh, the important things for uh, credibility, which includes testing, which includes certification, and uh, just, uh, once again, doing the right things for the right reasons. So I'm going to go around this roundtable, and we've got four very distinguished people today, and they're from uh, different parts of the country and uh, important to the practice of pain medicine. So tell us about yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Steve Aiden. I work in uh, northern New Jersey. I do interventional pain management as well as uh, regenerative medicine. Uh, I'm staffed at Northwell uh, Hofstra School of Medicine as well as Kale Orthopedics in uh, northern New Jersey. Awesome. Nancy? I'm Nancy Henry Sosha. I'm an interventional pain physician, and my practice is in Brainerd, Minnesota, which is about two hours north of Minneapolis. And I practice with Essentia Health in Brainerd, and my practice is in interventional pain, uh, musculoskeletal, uh, and regenerative medicine. And Art Watanabe, I've known this guy for years, years, and years, and years. The cool thing about Art, he's a radiologist, so he's really outside of the box, and uh, he's been great fun to listen to, incredible uh, teacher. Tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Art Watanabe. I'm a board-certified radiologist, also boarded in interventional pain. Uh, management. Uh, I'm currently uh, working in uh, Bellingham, Washington, which is about an hour north uh, of Seattle, about a half hour south of the Canadian border, and involved in all aspects of interventional pain management as well as uh, regenerative medicine procedures. All right, another special guy I've known for a long time, very prominent in the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians, and an incredible educator and author. Hi, I'm Dr. Data, and I uh, run a clinic in uh, New York and New Jersey called the Data Endoscopic Back Surgery and Pain Center. I also am a professorial lecturer at Mount Sinai. I specialize in all aspects of interventional pain. My special focus is on endoscopic discectomy, which is a procedure by which uh, you do minimally invasive surgery on the spine. Okay, since you got the microphone in your hand, we're going coast to coast here, literally coast to coast. Tell us, now we've had a podcast on endoscopic uh, surgery, but tell us what it means now and what it means in the future. Well, uh, with the endoscopic surgery, you basically uh, are able to avoid cutting back muscles. So the big uh, issue here is you can maintain the uh, back muscles, which are so important in the integrity of the spine. So the recovery time is minimal. There is no downtime. Uh, You're able to do the procedure through a small incision, which is no larger than uh, probably... uh, uh, less than one centimeter across, uh, so it's called band-aid surgery. Uh, You're able to do the surgery and take care of the problem usually without putting in hardware into your spine. Um, So people really like it uh, because of the minimally invasive uh, part of it. Yeah, there's a little downtime, and you're an instructor here, and um, so we we probably got about 40 people here learning how to do this, is that right? No, there's actually about uh, 24. Oh, okay, a little more. I guess that with the instructors and all. But the thing is, it's a rare bird to find. But more importantly, it's it's really hard to find somebody experienced. Would you say that's true? That's true. And it, that's really important for outcomes. So tell me what you do in your practice to get people uh, understanding what this is, the awareness and the indications. 
Well, the awareness is already there. There are people that find me out because they are looking for an alternative to having their back cut open. It's usually uh, patients in my practice are younger uh, people who have been having back issues for some time. They've usually run through the entire conservative uh, approach to treatment of the back pain, such as having... uh, tried medications first, which include uh, anti-inflammatory medications, which include uh, physical therapy. They've been through the whole physical therapy, and usually they have at least six weeks of physical therapy. Most of them have six months or longer of physical therapy and the epidural shots. Most of them have done well with the epidural shots. They have had some temporary relief with the epidural shots, but it has not led to long-lasting relief. And that is why they come to me for um, having a solution uh, which will let them have uh, permanent relief of their symptoms. Yeah, Um, okay, I always get asked, um, what is the complications, what are the downsides? The complications are same as open back surgery, but you have to recognize that the complication, chances of complication is minimized because you're working through a much smaller portal. Uh, You're not getting rid of the back muscles, so you have the stability of the spine, which is intact. However, there are chances of nerve injury, nerve damage, similar to the open procedure, and also the chance that uh, your disc may re-herniate, which means that your herniation may come back. And that can happen in up to 7 to 10% of cases, even in the best hands. Yeah, but what what I'm always concerned about is you get a younger person, like you mentioned, and uh, they have a back surgery, and and then in about five to ten years, there's back surgery number two, back surgery number three. Comment on that. Well, um, you know, the, the technique started approximately ten years ago, and it's really uh, gotten... Uh, better techniques and tools since the last five years. So I will not be able to give details of long-term benefits. However, the world literature is pretty specific. The success rate of these surgeries is pretty high. It is approximately 80%. That's almost 8 in 10 people get better with this procedure. And this uh, outcome is... uh, brought about by improvement in functional status, which means that you're able to do things like stand more, walk more, sit more. Um, There is obviously not a 100% chance of getting better, but 80% is better than anything else. Now, in terms of getting the second back surgery, the third back surgery, this procedure as such, uh, you try to only reconstruct the disc as much as possible, which means that you don't try to take out the entire disc, take out the abnormal part. So it is very tissue conserving. So it lets people go back to their active lifestyle without any downtime. And the actual technical aspects is it's done with an x-ray machine in an operating room in a sterile environment, and you can actually see, that's the endoscopic part of it, where you're going, right? That's correct. And you see that with a magnified view of almost, I would say, almost 10,000 times. Um, it's better than a view with a microscope. Okay, great. Art, you're up. All right, Art, so um, you take it away from here. Uh, I've been doing uh, interventional pain procedures since 1997, and all during that time I've been wanting to be able to inject something more than steroids, which mainly just treats the symptoms. Certainly uh, opioids are not the answer because uh, all they do is uh, treat the symptom and not the underlying cause, but we're embarking on a new area, era 
called regenerative medicine where we can use certain kinds of biologics to help the body stimulate healing and heal itself. And there are lots of different biologics that we now have available, including platelet-rich plasma, which is uh, the patient's own platelets, um, uh, allograft uh, procedures uh, using amniotic growth factors uh, and uh, stem cells, both uh, from the patient themselves and from donated uh, uh, placenta tissue uh, called the amnion. This is very, very exciting because we're now able to address issues uh, such as uh, arthritis and uh, tendinopathies, ligament injuries, and degenerative disc disease in carefully selected patients. Yeah, it helps. Uh, it helps with pain too. And they were talking yesterday in lecture. Um, I'm kind of a newbie at all this, but they are getting certain cells. I'll just say from fat tissues, adipose tissue, and uh, they are. Uh, there's a developed process that allows people to get this injected intravenously, and so the cells. I'm not going to call them stem cells, but the actual uh, tissue. Um, that is injected into the uh, arm goes and kind of seeks out on a search and destroy mission, right? That's one component of it, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to, a lot to say that's going to be going on in the next five years in this field. Nancy, what do you do? We've got to find nerves, which you can't see on x-ray. We've got, unless you put contrast in, but that's not always ideal. We've got to find special little tissue planes, which we can't see on x-ray usually. And um, so there's another way to do it. What's that called? So ultrasound is an excellent tool to be able to visualize different tissues. You can visualize nerves or tendons or muscles. And one of the nice things about ultrasound is you can use it to help see where there's greater tendon injury. So if you want to, if you want to address... Uh, dress uh, so tendon wear and tear is called tendinopathy and it's usually not an inflammation of the tendon usually it's wear and tear of the tendon that happens because tendons just don't have a good blood flow and so you can use the ultrasound uh, machine to help you see where you've got the greatest area of wear and tear in the tendon and be able to address that and you can use a number of different regenerative medicine techniques to be able to address that so much of the time I see patients uh, when I'm evaluating them they have pain they say I've got a bursitis when it's really um, or an inflammation of a tendon when it's really not that it's wear and tear of the tendon and not an inflammation or a bursitis and if you treat the the tendinopathy by using regenerative medicine techniques people can get uh, much better lasting relief than they can with just uh, corticosteroid injections which are currently the gold standard in medicine but not necessarily the best treatment for those things. You know, that's that's something I've talked about before. Uh, the folks that got the Nobel Prize for corticosteroids um, in, in the 50s said, uh, these are not for humans, corticosteroids. <laughs> and that's what we use all day long. Um, what's some downsides to those things? Well, there's uh, some good evidence that shows that corticosteroids can damage the stem cells uh, that are present that help regenerate, heal, that help uh, the tissue regenerate itself. So you can actually make the wear and tear worse over time. Steroids can help uh, help give short-term pain relief, but over long over the long term, they can cause more wear and tear of of the tendons or other tissues, and they can also make it so that. Uh, that you uh, have worse function afterwards. It's going to be damaging to the tissues. All right, I'm going to toss it back to Art. See, we order MRIs, CTs, and ultrasound. You just heard a little bit about that. And Art's a radiologist, and Nancy knows. I know Steve knows. I don't don't know like I should know, but 
when we're looking at regenerative medicine, we can actually see on imaging studies improvement. What, like for example, what? Well, you know, imaging, uh, whether it's an MRI scan or a CAT scan or an ultrasound, you know, they're basically just high-tech physical examinations. But with these high-tech physical examinations, we're able to identify areas uh, where there is injury or degenerative changes or wear and tear. Um, one of the caveats is that the pictures don't necessarily tell where the pain's coming from, so lots of people get focused on, I've got a bulging disc, but when their pain may be coming from someplace else. But with regenerative medicine, we can monitor improvement uh, following these procedures uh, with ultrasound and uh, uh, fluoroscopy. We can guide the needle into the areas uh, to where the uh, uh, biologic needs to be injected, and we can follow up uh, with uh, examinations to discern uh, the degree of improvement. But really, it's not about making the uh, X-ray or the ultrasound or the MRI picture better. It's really about improving the patient's quality of life and, and uh, reducing their pain. That's perfectly put. Nancy, your, your lecture yesterday was excellent. You talked about this. You talked about you can look at a tendon and you can look at, well, just like Art mentioned, an MRI like the T2, and you can say this is objective evidence that some people are getting better when we really didn't have that with steroids or something else, right? Uh, exactly. And you can also measure people functionally, too, at how they're doing. You, know, you, you look at them over time, you give them a treatment, and then you also, it's not just about injecting something into a place. It's also uh, rehabbing that because it's, it's regenerative medicine is all about helping, enhancing the body's ability to heal itself. And so sometimes you can just do a one-shot injection, like for mild to moderate knee osteoarthritis. There's good um, evidence that shows a, a, something like a platelet-rich plasma injection, or PRP, is superior to corticosteroids in terms of uh, pain relief, and it's not going to damage the knee potentially like corticosteroids and also things like lidocaine can, um, and it can give longer-lasting pain relief as well. So sometimes things, it's just a, an injection, and then you don't have to rehab it. Other things with a tendon injury, you do need to rehab it like you'd rehab a sports injury over time. Uh, but the idea is about with a tendon, uh, tendinopathy, wear and tear that tendon, you want to help that heal more, um, heal more like it would be naturally naturally, because a degenerated tendon looks a lot different um, than, than a healthy tendon is, and the idea is you want to help it get back to more its, uh, its pre-injury state, so you do uh, rehab with it in, in addition to regenerative medicine to help reach that goal. Yeah, Steve. Okay. This is a guy who got the highest score on his board test <laughs> in the country. I should have kept my mouth yeah, shut. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> so... Um, Okay, we can also use these for spine procedures, right? So we just don't have to be sticking needles in uh, places where God never meant a needle to go and, uh, and, and shoot some steroid in there. You know, people say, my epidural lasted a, a week or two. My SI joint lasted two weeks. Well, we can ablate it. Okay, we did that. Well, what's next? Uh, well, we can try more physical therapy. All right, you got something else. What do you got? So um, 
Let's correct. It was my oral boards that I did very well on, so I can really speak oh, well. just your oral <laughs> and, uh And I disagree with God, never intended, because um, we do have a sacral hiatus, so it's like easy access to the epidural space. But, okay, I'll give you that. Um, that being said, certainly, uh, the areas that we usually do injections, right, we just put steroid there, decrease inflammation, or we put a local anesthetic, and you know we turn off the sensation of feeling pain. But what else can we offer to these patients and repeatedly injecting steroid, especially in the lumbar spine where there's ligaments involved, stretching, or even the disc, the goal is really to try and reprogram or, or restart that inflammatory cascade that has initiated and basically plateaued or gotten stuck. So we always talk about the inflammation phase, the, um, the cool-down phase of inflammation, and then the healing and remodeling phases. Um, for some reason, when we get injuries and they become chronic problems, whether it's an SI joint problem or a herniated disc or a radiculopathy, there's an inflammatory stuck. You know, we can't break through that plateau and getting that final healing part. So we've come up with these techniques and the timing of ultrasound becoming available for musculoskeletal medicine, really that becoming a real integral part of both musculoskeletal and interventional pain has allowed the advent or the explosion of regenerative medicine. Um, This includes things like bone marrow injections, uh, PRP injections, adipose stem cell injections. Um, In reality, these are all misnomers. They're not really stem cells. We're not really regenerating. We're just kind of providing the elements that we think are responsible for healing and and producing the tissues that are responsible for the environment that's causing pain or the the abnormal environment that's causing pain. Uh, So patients respond really well. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence and we're really working hard to bring out the you know the the solid evidence and the publications to really prove these things and with the panel that's here today we're certainly motivated and i know all of us are really working toward that direction to getting things more i guess uh, protocols, not necessarily, but more guidelines on what the appropriate steps are to getting these things to patients. Excellent. Okay. All right. Final question for the roundtable because it uh, looks like it's lunchtime. Um, all right. Yesterday, the very um, bold comment was made that this is the most exciting thing in medicine uh, that we uh, have seen in recent years. And even Ronald Reagan said that stem cell therapy. Uh, is probably as important as antibiotics. Um, but I don't know. I, that's a historical comment. What do you think they're going to say about regenerative medicine in the future as we see it now? Well, I, I certainly think it is an exciting part of our field right now. One, because it's an area of exploration, publication, research. You know, I think all of us get excited about opportunity to research and discover and really develop new plans and treatments. Uh, You know, where we'll be in 10, 20, 30 years from now, who knows? I mean, this can be very tailored to each patient, and I think we're going to learn that, you know, one thing is better for a certain patient versus another thing or a certain injury is going to respond better to another one. So we have a lot of work to do, but I really think it is maybe the wave of the future, but certainly another tool in our box, not the snake oil that's going to cure everything, but certainly something to offer that's different from our conventional things that we've had. Nancy, you're up. 
Well, I think it's important for people to understand, too, as Steve was just saying, it's not a cure-all for everything, but there's certain things we know that it works better for than others, certain tendon injuries like a golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, Achilles tendon, um, lateral hip pain, which gets called greater trochanteric bursitis a lot of times, which is really more wear and tear in some tendons on the side of your hip. Um, you know, those things... Uh, pretty good evidence for that knee pain things like that so understanding what uh, it can be a very useful tool for certain musculoskeletal things and i'm excited to see what we're going to learn over time it's, it's still really in the beginning phases of this area of medicine and we're still learning a lot about what the best uh, uh amounts to give and and treatment options and what uh you know does stem cells work better for this on prp work better for that we're still learning a lot but it's really an exciting time to be able to have uh, some new treatment options for patients especially for things that um our standard medical care hasn't been as effective art you're going to get two questions but start with this one what question is that that's the one they were answering you know we're going to be looking back in a number of years and you know the big question mark about regenerative medicine did we do the right thing for the right reason did we focus on the right things or is this going to be a revolutionary way to help with uh, healing and mending i think that regenerative medicine procedures offer a very very good option uh, for patients uh, wanting alternatives to conventional treatments such as opioids, steroid injections, and surgery. The downside right now is that it's not covered by third-party payers or insurance, so it's an out-of-cost uh, expense. But if you consider the fact that we're talking about things that deal with quality of life, uh, making that investment uh, for those who can afford it is a good option. I think in uh, the near future you will see that uh, as there's more evidence confirming efficacy that uh, insurance companies may cover it. I have some reservations about that because insurance companies tend to tell us uh, what we can do and then they start reducing reimbursement to the point we can't pay for it or offer it anymore, but I think it is a revolutionary thing. Uh, if there are changes in Obamacare and uh, they implement uh, health savings accounts, it's a no-brainer for patients, and it's a very exciting time. Okay, your second question is, you have your finger on the pulse of the political arena in medicine, and uh, you have a spin. Tell us what we, we're going to see from this new president. You know, I'm not a, a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. My wife says I'm a member of the angry son-of-a-bitch party. Um, I'm willing to give them a chance. I think it, it, the election sent a big message, uh, and I'm willing to uh, give them a chance. to. I would like to see Obamacare repealed. I would like to see health savings accounts uh, implemented. I'd like to see uh, uh, all of the regulations and nightmare uh, 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 things associated with Obamacare go away. Um, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Okay. You want to round it out? All right. So we're going to say the same thing about uh, endoscopic surgery, minimally invasive surgery in the future. Did well, we do the right thing, and were we focused on the right stuff? Well, I'm going to meld the two together. I think regenerative medicine has got a great role in endoscopic surgery. It's got the right tool. You're doing the minimally invasive surgery, and, uh, you know, you instead of just PRP, which is 
what we have available right now, people are putting PRP into the disk and also stem cells. That's leading to some good outcomes, but the as the disease progresses, you will need to have more options. And I think there are some real, real innovative things coming up in the horizon, which includes building scaffolding uh, using the PRP and the stem cells. And I think that is what is going to be engineered in the future, lead to uh, better constructs, and perhaps lead to elimination of artificial disks or, you know, the fusion procedure in the future. Yeah, thanks, everybody. I really appreciate being part of the panel. Anybody have any closing comments? It can be off the wall, no problem. Any closing comments? Well... That's, uh, that's fun having people uh, on board for these, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Okay, that was great, and I appreciate them all being on. They're fun. They, I have a lot of fun just talking to these folks. Uh, Art has a uh, kind of a, a real good perspective on stuff that I care about. I mean, he has a political perspective that I like to listen to. And uh, in many ways, geopolitical, because he's in a state that is going through a little bit of changes in the world of pain medicine, particularly with access to care. We really got to watch that stuff. And I'll tell you what, medicine is sometimes a, uh, a point of political life as opposed to real life. And here's a cover line on the uh, first page of Pain Medicine News. Oregon reconsiders plan to withdraw coverage for spinal interventions. They really wanted to take it away. And Seattle is very close to Oregon in its political thinking. Now, is that going to help people? No. Is that going to cause more potential pain and suffering for those that suffer from spinal pain and just life's troubles? Yes. Is it going to make spinal cord stimulation difficult for folks to access? Yes. We we are all about access to care. That's why we go to Washington and we do lobbying for the greater good. And that's you, you folks out there. We're, we're out there for you at our expense, out of the office on our time, for you. And so it looks like the ASIPP organization and probably others that heavily criticized Oregon. It's called HERC, H-E-R-C, Oregon Health Evidence Review Commission. Uh, they have probably heavily lobbied them and got them to start reconsidering. Like, oh, well, here I guess we can't ignore evidence-based data. And hopefully they're going to just pull back from this rather radical way of thinking about withdrawing coverage. So, anyway, thanks again for coming. And... Leave a review at uh, iTunes, uh, if you would. I really appreciate it. It helps us rank. And we're ranking pretty well, but, you know, I want everybody to hear us and, and to get uh, perspective from what I consider the world's experts. And I'm very, uh, I feel very honored and humbled to have had folks like we had today on and them uh, giving you the, uh, the perspective from uh, East Coast, West Coast, and everything in between. So we will see you next week or even earlier, and I think I'm going to have Ramson Benyamin on next. So talk to you soon.